0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now.
0: Another week, another episode of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge and I'm partnered again by my partner in crime, Shelly. How's it going, Shelly?
1: It's going great, Serge. Thank you very much. How are you doing? Do you have a, a good weekend?
0: I had a fantastic weekend. You know, uh, Father's Day, living the dream um, with all the young kids around. So it was it was a great uh, it was a great week. And how about yours?
1: It was great. It was great. I uh, I spoiled my dad, but I'm sure Father's Day is really, I think, extra special for you. Um, you're just yeah. surrounded by women. The twins yes. are just one. What a day!
2: Hey, okay? what
0: a day! Yep. <laughs> No, it's, uh, I get all the love in the world, so I can't yeah. complain, but, uh, and I, I'm sure our our special guest is waiting for us, so how about we yeah, introduce her?
1: You bet. Um, so I have the privilege of introducing Tracy Smith. Uh, Tracy is the president of Numerical Insights. Tracy's also an author of my favorite book, Strategic Workforce Planning. It is one of the easiest to follow and most practical, simple guides to strategic strategic workforce planning. Um, In addition to that as well though, Tracy has written thousands of articles and she is seen as one of the leading authorities on HR analytics. Um, And she comes to us from Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome to the show, Tracy.
2: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Awesome. So Tracy, you know, um, there's there's an, an awful lot to be said about HR analytics. And it's one of those topics. Um, I know when you and I met years ago, um, we immediately connected. Because I just, I felt like finally somebody who understands somebody who can explain this in a real simple way. So, do you know, I wanted to start one of our first questions, or one of the first things that I really wanted you to share with the audience is tell us Like, what was the moment for you when you realized just how powerful data can be?
2: Well, for this, I have to take you a few decades back, so back to about 1990. And back then, I was a mechanical engineer working in the automotive industry. And back then, the design process for engineering was you design a part, you would have to order prototype tooling, which cost $100,000, you'd have to wait six weeks for it to arrive, then you would test your product, see if it meets the performance, if the answer is no, change your design and loop right back to the start and keep on going. Then I was asked to write a computer program to see, can I actually simulate the testing process of that product? So I used historical performance data and heat transfer equations to create a program where people could just press run and test their design, and in a few seconds, it would tell them whether it worked. So the moment I realized that when you every time they pressed that button and it told them their design didn't work, I was actually saving them $100,000 each time in prototype tooling and six weeks of their schedule. And then I just thought that was the coolest thing.
1: Okay. Wow. Yeah. Do you know, I think, um, I think you are uh, probably the smartest person I've ever met. <laughs> oh, gosh.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think so.
1: well, pretty close because I, that was not what I thought you were going to say at all, but that is amazing. That is yeah. amazing.
0: Tell us a little bit about your journey, how you eventually got into HR analytics.
1: Yeah. yeah. So
2: I think that is the one thing a lot of people don't realize about me. It's like, I do not come from HR. I come from degrees in applied mathematics and mechanical engineering from the University of Waterloo, uh, an MBA, which actually specia- specialized in supply chain. Uh, so my career journey was actually 11 years of engineering, followed by um, working in supply chain for a Fortune 500, and then actually transitioning uh, inside FedEx uh, over to HR because they wanted to get more numbers-driven inside that function. So it's like, well, hey, do you know something about metrics and and analytics? It's like, well, certainly. And I actually told them, I said, you know, I I think you have enough data here that I can even predict the workforce that you need. And that predated before, you know, the HR field started talking about the buzzword of strategic workforce planning. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just numbers, whether it was automotive products or people, uh, it was actually all the same for me.
0: What, what was the most interesting thing when you started digging into HR analytics? Like what what picked your curiosity initially? Like anything surprised you? Anything that shocked you?
2: Yeah, it's interesting to me what you can um, determine about certain employee behavior without even asking anybody a single question. Like it comes through in the data. So there's one example I have where um, when I'm working with a client and, and their recruitment team and I'm trying to use their data for the first time, I could actually tell the behavior they had about recording, you know, which step of the recruitment process they were in. I could tell exactly what they were doing by what the data was showing. So I could actually see that they were waiting about three weeks and then recording that somebody goes through the steps like five steps in a day—that's impossible, right? <laughs> so you know they were oh, they were gathering I up the collection of their saying. data and then putting it all in at once because it records real time.
1: <laughs> ah, yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh! Yes, yeah, so- so you
2: get you get some entertainment that way. And just like, wait a minute! <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. So, so
1: now, and I don't want to, I don't want to put a a date and time stamp on you and me, uh, but what year was that? Because you said it was kind of before HR realized the power of analytics. So what year were you, did you kind of start and do you really think was FedEx really um, kind of a leading organization or an innovator? Or was it because we we were actually because
2: back then when I started to um, to reach out with other people, there were maybe about six or 12 of us. And we were talking about modeling the workforce, and then suddenly, you know, I'd say about four years later was when people really started talking about that phrase again as strategic workforce planning, Mm -hmm. which we don't claim it to be original. If you go back, it actually goes back quite a few decades, Um, but it became sort of new and fresh and popular again under that phrase because the computing power had changed substantially since the last time that it was popular.
1: Got it. Got it.
0: So in your work in HR, I'm just curious, um, what do you think is the most misunderstood metric that is measured in HR?
2: Okay, so I'm not going to pick a metric because I think the thing that is most misunderstood is metrics and KPIs themselves, sort of the how how you should use them, how you should choose them, how you should apply them to HR. Because what I see is that um, a lot of the HR KPIs and metrics that are being tracked aren't aligned to the HR strategy. It's almost like they've just picked a, a popular list of KPIs to track rather than figuring out what is it that we're trying to accomplish in the next two years? What are the metrics that actually measure us closing the gap and performing and succeeding against those goals?
0: So putting that in context, where do you think they're going wrong? Like what type of metrics are they measuring that you think that's probably not being lined up with their overall business strategy? Any examples there?
2: Yeah, certainly. I mean, I see examples where, and I'm not going to mention any company names, but mm-hmm. they pull like a big consulting firm's list of metrics and that company provides a count on how many companies are measuring each of those metrics. And they choose it by popularity rather than choosing it by what they're trying to accomplish. Wow. So how
1: do you get, so when you're working with an organization, Tracy, how do you get them to go back to start? Because, you know, yes. is, are, so um, I don't want to conclude anything, but would you say that most companies don't have an HR strategy? And so they
2: actually, I think most companies, especially the large ones, they do have an HR strategy, Mm -hmm. um, but I think they find themselves a little bit disjointed sometimes from the overall company strategy, or if they do have alignment between the business strategy and the HR strategy, it sort of stops at the HR leadership. But the people that are picking what metrics to measure and setting up the dashboards or whatever visualization tool you want to use for, for displaying those metrics, they're not connected to the people that have the HR strategy. Oh.
1: So
0: how do you change that mentality? How do you get yeah. HR leaders more involved?
1: And how, yeah. Where's the glass of cold water in the face?
2: Yeah. Yes. I mean, honestly, yeah, so it's,
1: what's it going to take?
2: Well you have to remember so so using data in HR is 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 not I mean it's not super new but it's not super old right mm-hmm. so there's always been this disconnect because you have the um, the experts of HR analytics who don't necessarily have a, a very high level of business acumen in terms of you know impacts to the overall business what does it mean uh, so they need a little bit of uh, push to you know Ask your leadership, ask for that HR strategy, ask to talk to the, you know, the director level, the VP level. And then we also have at the leadership level, uh, if they're fairly new and they don't come from a numbers background, they may not have that exposure that really um, enlightens them as to the power of data and the importance of connecting that strategy that they're looking at in a PowerPoint with the actual numbers of their HR analytics team.
1: Right. So do you find, Tracy, I think, you know, even when I think back on my corporate experience, that they're, we're trying to take somebody from finance and have them think in terms of data, and that's usually who ends up in the chair for HR analytics, in, in your experience, in the companies that you work with. Is that maybe the the core issue? Is that they're finance people and not data? Analytics people?
2: No, no, because I think actually finance has a a better understanding of that. So if they come Mm -hmm. from an area like uh, finance, engineering, operations, uh, they are very well versed at using data for making decisions. Mm. It's if they come from a traditional HR field or a non-numbers field, then we see a little bit of that gap. And unfortunately, regardless of what you choose for the top of HR, if you choose an HR person, there's a gap in understanding the numbers. And if you put, say, the head of operations in charge of HR, they understand the numbers, but now they've got that gap with the, the HR. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the fundamental HR knowledge. So there's always going to be some sort of gap that you have to work with. So what I like to do is kind of encourage both the leaders and the heads of the HR analytics teams to, to force them to have those conversations, to try and fill those gaps. Because what I see is that the HR leader says, "Why I want insights from the numbers Mm -hmm. And then the HR analytics person says, well, I need guidance on, well, what do you want me to look at? What are the business questions you're trying to answer? That's the disconnect I see the most today.
1: Wow. Wow. I think
0: think that's driven by just overall how HR is. like. One of the biggest challenges HR has in gaining credibility in an organization is taking those business results and correlating in, not those business, but those HR metrics or analytics and correlating that into business results. Um, how can we change that? How can we change the mentality of HR professionals coming into um, sometimes like leaders don't really care about some of our metrics in some ways. And I don't blame them because you can tell them, look, our time to fill is um, 42 days in reality, unless you correlate that directly into business results you're, it really doesn't mean anything to them. What's your overall thoughts around that?
2: Um, on something like time to hire, I like that metric from the point of view of being able to set a timing expectation with your hiring manager. Yeah. Because you can say, hey, you know, for an electrical engineer, it, it typically takes us 104 days. Yeah. So that they're not coming back to you in three weeks going, you know, are you done yet? Are you done yet? You know, where's my <laughs> new hire? Um, so I understand that. I If they are going to look at it and measure the steps in the time to hire process, because you know, there's a lot of steps in that process from the point of view of trying to improve the process. So from a continuous improvement point of view, looking at which step is actually the bottleneck and can we improve that? If you're going to do that from the point of view of like a continuous improvement project, that's great. But if you're not, and you're just measuring time to hire, I don't see it going beyond just setting a timing expectation with the hiring manager. Because what I've also seen is that because the overall time to hire metric includes both activities that are conducted in HR and activities that are conducted outside of HR, I do see a few cases where when the time to hire starts to get longer and longer, you get into a little bit of a a finger pointing game almost. So who's actually responsible for the lengthening of the time?
0: Mm-hmm. No, interesting. That's so a
2: great point. That is taking a, really a look
0: at re- point, taking a look at recruitment metrics um, and there's, there is a lot and you mentioned a list of, okay, what are the top ones? But um, so say you were a new head of a uh, talent acquisition for a department, what would be the top three metrics that you would look at?
2: So I would look at time to hire, but I wouldn't look at it as an overall number. I would have it segmented by job role. Okay. And the, the ones that I would really um, focus on, and this kind of crosses the line between HR analytics and strategic workforce planning. But in strategic workforce planning, the first step is that you go and you kind of flag what are the roles that we deem to be you know, critical, pivotal, whatever your phrasing may be. Those are the ones where you really want to monitor the time to hire and what you really need to see is, is it getting shorter or is it getting longer? And when it does, tr- when it does trend and start to get longer, so say you're monitoring mechanical engineers and the time to hire you know, every three months is getting longer and longer, then the question also becomes, well, what can you do about that? What action can you take to try and shorten that process? Because if you then look at, say, the external economics in the geography that's being impacted, it'll give you an idea on, is this something we actually have control over or do we not? And that kind of drives like which type of action you can take.
0: Perfect. Anything else you would measure?
2: Um, In recruitment, I think very much the, um, I would put metrics around the onboarding process. So almost the equivalent of a net promoter score on that process, so checking in with the uh, the newly hired employees, I would say like three months, six months, nine months, to see how was their experience coming in because we do have those situations. It's a very popular story that an employee shows up and well, they don't have a computer, they don't have a login, they haven't been assigned a cell phone. So it's like what? How was that? And that kind of gives the first impression to the employee about your company. So I definitely put metrics on on the onboarding process.
0: I mean, I'm curious on that note, because there's, um, there's a new metric in recruitment, uh, net hiring score. Basically, you measure from the candidate's experience and the hiring manager, basically in 90 days to to get mm-hmm. a score of where they're at. Um, and I think one of the big challenges I have as a practitioner is is measuring quality of hire. Um, so I am testing net hiring scores to see uh, other ways you can do it is like performance reviews. Are they there a year after? And none of it is it seems like um, it's really tough to measure quality of the hire. Any any thoughts on quality of hires, how I should take a look at that?
2: Yeah, certainly. So I, I like to keep things simple. I have seen quality of hire metrics that say, you know, take 30% of this metric plus 50% of this one plus mm-hmm. 20% of another metric. Well, you're never going to explain what it means when that metric goes up or down because it has three components to it, right? So I'm not a big fan of that method. I like the simple one where after a certain period of time, so separate the onboarding from, from the, the hiring manager. So you're already going to measure how the candidate feels from the onboarding process. But then from a quality point of view, I would actually send just like a one or two question survey out to the hiring manager uh, to basically say, um, you know, how how is their performance relative to their peers in that same position? right now and are they at a level that you would expect them to be because you can't um for a lot of positions there's a longer uh learning curve right. to get up to speed so you don't necessarily want to judge them at a full level but are they where you expect them to be uh, so you know are you pleased with this hire
1: i love no, it I, I love i'm taking simple.
0: copious notes here um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's been it's been one of us. my biggest challenges for yeah. sure. Quality of hire in every yeah. organization is how you measure it, and I I'm on the same wavelength. I I tried formulas that have three, four different components, but then to your point, it's the tough minute, to
2: explain. Yeah,
0: I couldn't explain it. Like when it came to realize it went down twenty points. Is that good? Is that bad? I have no clue. Um, so I love that insight. Thank you.
1: You're yeah. welcome. So you know, there's uh, there's another. I think the most common or most well understood, but probably the biggest baseball bat that I think, um, the operations side have for HR. And, and I think for as long as, and I've been in recruitment in HR for 25 years, and that's, you know, as soon as we start talking about turnover rates, um, you know, there's, it it seems to be the most commonly understood. Um, but what does it really tell us, right? Does it, um, you know, I don't know. I don't want to put you on the spot here, Tracy, but you know, I've I've long held a belief that some turnover is good. So, if we start with the context of, say, a company with you know at least a thousand employees, you know, turnover rates. What are your thoughts about what's good, what's bad?
2: So, turnover rates. I agree that some turnover is good because you want to get um, new ways of thinking. Into your company, so so okay. that you don't get you don't become account obsolete. Actually, fresh ideas keep coming in. Yeah. But when you're doing turnover, again, like any metric, I say at the overall. So if you have a thousand employees, at the overall rate, um, it's a useless metric, right? It doesn't give you insights into what that really means. So when you start to segment that, the very first thing that I always like to do is that are we, um, are we losing the top performers? Or are we losing the bottom performance? Because if it's the bottom, it just means you're holding people accountable. And, you know, that's fine. We're good with them going. If they start to see your top performers going, then you have to dive a little deeper and figure out, well, what is it that's making them go? Is it a lack of progression? Is it a lack of challenge? Is it competitive salary? Mm -hmm. Uh, But then there's also that thing, because it is turnover, that I always like to monitor the external economic indicators as well, because when the economy becomes very, very good, then you're going to see your turnover rate go up anyway, because there's so many more jobs on the market that people that weren't actively looking, so sort of the passive people, will start to get recruited and start to leave your company. So I always say the key to any metric for that is segmentation to actually get the insights of where is it happening so you can start to then get into why is it happening
1: wow thank you tracy that is probably <laughs> one of the best explanations and if i could put a poster behind me i think that's what it would say oh thank you
0: <laughs> we'll make the we'll get those posters yeah, made up let's get stickers there, made so I, yeah, yeah can, let's yeah, get exactly. stickers
1: made that Stop tracking the wrong shit because it doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> yes, it does not matter. you waste a lot of time, a lot of money. It's so true. It's, it's so true. true.
0: Um, yeah. So looking into the HR profession in, in, in total and recruitment, um, so there's a lot of disruption. There's a lot of noise uh, in the market as far as when it comes to recruitment technology to data to analytics. What do you think is the biggest disruption coming up? that uh, HR and recruitment professionals should be aware of?
2: So I think with the, you know, with computer power and with AI machine learning, I would say that any task in HR that is tactical and repetitive is now ripe for automation. So I've got, uh, you know, a client where in their company, they actually have robots doing the data entry of new hires into their HRIS system. They've got, um, They've got AI doing a lot of sort of data audit checks. And since you know how, how data systems are in HR, right? You don't have one HR system. You definitely have multiples, especially if you're a Fortune 500. So mm-hmm. even when they're doing things like a daily transfer of data from one system into another to kind of get their data in one place to analyze it, even that is all automated and even the check to make sure that the exact correct number of records was transferred from one system to another. So I would say any tactical activity in HR right now that is repetitive. And the reason I say repetitive is that there's no ROI on automating something that only happens once. But if it happens a thousand times a week, then definitely you can get an ROI on it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I've been talking about that for for years. And I think one of the biggest challenges we have in recruitment is a lot of recruiters are actually not recruiters, they're more process admins. Um there's a clear mm-hmm. process, they post a job and their job I is agree. just to flow it through as I've always said that if a recruiter is doing their job, they have there's two key things that can't be replaced. And we had a Katrina Collier of the Robot Proof Recruiter book uh, come and talk to us, and I, I I agree with her wholeheartedly. Is like you got to manage your relationships with your candidates and your hiring managers, and if you do that really well, you're not going to be replaced. Um, so I think in the recruitment industry there is some. Um, with AI become way more prevalent. And I've seen in my organization, I leverage AI for candidate screening. I've even had the question is, is this going to replace the recruiters? Um, and that is not the case. The case is I want the recruiters to do activities that are actually driving the value and the experience for our candidates or our hiring managers. So love that's what you brought up because I see exactly the same trend. It's going to be interesting how we see it uh, across the board because HR in general has been seen as an admin department, like uh, unfortunately or fortunately. Correct, yeah,
2: it's been a tactical view.
0: It's been a tactical, and so it's good to see. our. uh, I'm hoping that we get to a way more strategic way of doing business. Like most of our other departments and organizations have had to, we need to get there as well.
2: And I think for for HR, you know, I know there's a certain – you know, segment of jobs where people do worry about whether they're going to be replaced by a rec- um, by AI and, and machine learning, and I would have to say that because it is HR, while the tactical and repetitive activities might be replaced by robots and automation. Because we are dealing with people, not you know machines, because you know I came from manufacturing, it's a, it's a different yeah. world when you deal with machines. That human element is never going to leave HR. So even if we automate all of the the tactical activities in recruitment, that human to human contact is never going to go away, and will actually be beneficial because they will have more time to spend on that human element and developing the relationships with potential candidates.
0: Love it.
1: Okay, good. We're safe. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I I agree. There's there's so many things that just don't add value. When uh, Serge and I, of course, our our focus is completely in talent acquisition. Uh, when we look at the broader category of HR, I think there's um, there's a lot of opportunity to make everyone's life easier. Um, you know, really. But you're right. When it comes to you know um, em- employees or leaders dealing with challenges because boy that is the one thing that I don't know if we'll ever figure out is just the unpredictability of humans mm-hmm. like just, Agreed. I just shake my head at the stuff people do ah tell you. <laughs> listen that this has been fantastic you know I I can already count how many great things that you have brought to the show Tracy you are so impressive thank you so much so um, share with our audience if you would how, how do they find you like you're like the best kept secret <laughs> how do we find Tracy oh
2: uh, yeah so obviously I, I have a website so www.numericalinsights.com mm-hmm. or you can just uh, search me on LinkedIn as well I'm, I'm sure you'll find me
1: and but so there's a few Tracy Smiths
2: Oh, oh correct so Tracy Smith with T R A C E Y but if yeah. you if you search Tracy Smith Numerical Insights I'll yeah. definitely come up on LinkedIn.
1: And where can we find your books? Are you
2: You can find the books on Amazon and they're okay. also linked on my website as well.
1: How awesome. many books do
0: you have?
2: Oh gosh, I probably have oh, I don't know, probably somewhere between 4 and 7 and then um I have like online courses and you know there's all kinds of stuff.
0: Perfect No well, shortage
2: of free learning, I'm sure
0: well, I love it. I yeah. uh, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I think there is you gave us a lot of insights on on metrics can how they it can be used in h r and talent acquisitions as we move forward with this podcast. We're spending a lot of time on the analytics side. I we think it's really important. I think it's really important for us to be uh, quite knowledgeable Mm -hmm. so we can share that knowledge with other parts of the business and and gain credibility, to be honest. Um, So on that note, again, do go find uh, Tracy. Um, That's the end of this week's episode of the Recruitment Flex. Thank
1: you.
2: Thank you for coming on Tracy. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure
0: the jim stroud podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives brain-to-brain communication robot bosses microchip implants for workers and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now